Lombard Mennonite Peace Center, where I became a, a mediator and actually a professional mediator later in my life. And it was from Anabaptists that I learned the tools for um, effective nonviolent resistance. And what I want to just reiterate on this day is how violence is exponential in its growth. So just as Melba was saying, you know, there were 2,977 Americans who died in the 9-11 event, 212,191 Afghans who died as a result of the war, as well as 2,456 American soldiers. In an Iraq, 151,000 Iraqis died, 4,550 American soldiers, and 3,793 American contractors. So a lot, a lot of death over 20 years occurred as a result of 9-11. So as I said, I'm here to talk about, you know, on behalf of the Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery Coalition. So let's just briefly touch on what the heck is the Doctrine of Discovery. Of course, you are, Pasadena Mennonite Church is uh, a repair in our repair network, repair network congregation. And so Forgive me if you already, if this all sounds familiar to you, but the doctrine of discovery, many people think it's a law. It's actually a legal doctrine, which is a paradigm for creating law, for creating and interpreting law. And it is the current legal doctrine in the United States that defines reality for indigenous peoples. So it's not sort of a distant historical thing. It is a current structure of today. It's based on this idea of terra nullius, which, is, which means the land is empty. So as the expansion of Europe was occurring in the experiment of colonization, the Pope declared that if a European monarch or his representatives landed on a land that was not ruled by a Christian monarch, that that land was empty of people. And that is the legal doctrine in the United States today. The last time it was cited by our Supreme Court was in 2005 in a majority opinion written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who said this is a matter of settled law. There is no question. All the land in this land is the property of the United States government. It's also based upon Christian doctrine that has been deployed by the church. And mission has historically been the vanguard of economic development. And I say economic development because colonization was really a project of economic development. And mission was a vehicle for making that happen. So a couple of examples of that. One is boarding schools. Of course, we all are following in the news the resolution of boarding schools that existed in North America through the 1970s. And the purpose was to remove Indigenous children from their homes for the purpose of assimilation. Another way the church participated in the settlement of the United States, at least, was Bureau of Indian Affairs agents were often pastors and Christian missionaries. So in the Yakima lands where I live, James Wilbur was a Methodist minister who was the first BIA Indian agent, and he withheld food from Indigenous people for participating in indigenous ceremony, among other things. He also was the head of the boarding school and he, he was established in 1860 and was in charge there for several decades. And the school, the Yakima boarding school had as its intention separating indigenous peoples from what was termed their barbarous influences, 
which would be their parents. So this sounds like, oh my gosh, this happened, it's really sad. It happened in the 1860s. So I wanna kind of make this more concrete. The Methodist church that's on the reservation today where I live is called Wilbur Memorial Church. I wanna share with you this morning a story about the place where I live on the Yakima reservation. Our closest neighbor is a native family. There are six children and we've known them from the time they were little you know, through teenagehood and adulthood. And one of our neighbors invited us to come and worship with him at a mission church close to where we live, maybe just a few miles from where we live. And of course, we wanted to honor that. It's really a dear friend. I've known him since he was two years old. He just graduated from high school. So what a treasure to be invited and come and worship with him. This is at a Presbyterian church, mission church. When we went to this church, the thing that I was most surprised by at first is that when we came into the sanctuary, there were really just a few people, like maybe my husband and son and I were there. And then there were some teenagers that were known, you know, like young adults, people who had graduated from high school, maybe four or five of those. And then all of the sort of the pastoral team was there. So five minutes before the service started, I was like, wow, there's really like, you know, like us and three other people here. I'm like, okay. Um, it's Father's Day. And then the buses started to arrive. So there were buses of indigenous kids that were picked up from all over the reservation. And that sanctuary, maybe twice the size of this one, was full. So it had kids elementary age, and then it had middle school, and then it had high school kids and youth group. And of course, there was a, there was a team of people who were coming for service learning, youth from, I think it was somewhere in the South. And so that sanctuary was full, totally filled up. So I was like, wow, this is really something, you know, they're bringing kids in, there's a meal at the end. This is fabulous. You know, it was really like, wow, how have I lived here so long and didn't know about this? So the youth pastor, who is a Yakima tribal member, stood up and said, you know, it's Father's Day. And I want to just acknowledge that this can be a hard holiday for many of us who have, you know, have had loss related to our fathers. Any kind of, you know choked up a little bit and said, you know, I want you to know that you're loved. It's a room full of kids. Then the lead pastor stood up and gave his message and he was preaching on the Beatitudes. And he started with the first one and said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And explained that they are poor in spirit because they are sinners and because they are corrupt to their very core, including the children in the room. But you could be blessed if you're willing to admit that sin and your corrupt nature and depart from it. And he went on and on about this, the corruption of the, the children in the room. And he went on and said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And really the only purpose of mourning is to mourn your wretched corruption how you are a sinner and the only redemption for you is to admit that you've sinned and to practice, you know, basically atoning for the sins that you've committed. I'm going to compress it. This sermon was probably like 45, 60 minutes long. And he said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And the meek are those people who have been willing to admit that they sinned and that they are sinful in nature and are able to have a new nature through the admission of sin. 
he got through four beatitudes. The fourth one, I'm telling you, it was like 45, 60 minutes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And the only righteousness that you could thirst for is righteousness in terms of following what your pastor tells you and the strictures of the Bible, which includes cleanliness, working, going to your job, going to school, and your corrupt nature can be overcome if you're willing to follow me, essentially. And as I sat there, I was just gobsmacked that this is the message of Christianity that indigenous children have been bussed in to hear. And it is a Christianity that is consistent with the objectives of colonization to assimilate these children. And the best way that they can demonstrate their faithfulness is to approximate whiteness to the extent that they're able. And I thought, gosh, we really have some work to do here. The doctrine of discovery is a legal and policy structure that exists in the United States today, in part because Christians continue to believe in it and see it as truth. So it doesn't feel wrong when they hear of it. It feels absolutely right. Uh, many of the churches, uh, the people who attend church in the reservation where I live, believe colonists or the people who are the descendants of settlers, that they have the right to the land on the reservation, most of which is owned by the descendants of settlers, because the Indians weren't doing anything with it. And that the ones that exist on the reservation today are lazy and backward. And missionary endeavors like this one, the object is to erase indigeneity to the extent that that's possible. And of course, this missionary church doesn't send around an offering basket. It is completely funded by mission. And it is well-funded. Um, this is not a single entity. There are many missionary churches on, my, on the reservation where I live. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself as I'm sitting through the sermon, it's Father's Day. Here's an opportunity to tell people who have experienced trauma, who've experienced great loss, who are a colonized people under the boot of the mightiest empire on earth, that the kingdom of God is for them. What a powerful message to be able to say, the kingdom of God is for you. And if you mourn, you will be comforted. And if you are meek, you will put the wise to shame and the mighty to shame. What an opportunity to speak that. And I, I so appreciate the scripture from Luke that Una read this morning. It was shared with the children's time. Because to me, you know, I really believe that that passage in Luke from Isaiah is the mandate of Jesus. He speaks his mandate. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I am here to proclaim good news to the poor and to proclaim freedom for prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim jubilee or the radical reorganization of human systems 
and for the earth. And that is the message of Jesus. And I love that when we're that when I was talking with the, the children here during children's time, they're saying, yeah, that bright light, that could be me. And it's like, yes, indeed. That's right. Where is the spirit of the Lord if it is not upon us? Is this not our mandate? Is this not our mandate to preach good news to the poor? The radical reorganization of human systems, which is what Jubilee is, the year of our Lord's favor. And in this passage, I also just so treasure this idea of recovery of sight for the blind. And who is the blind in this passage? On the daily, I am praying for the recovery of sight for the blind. In our time together, it's just such a pleasure to get to be here and to be with you. And I want to say that especially as an Anabaptist, it can be hard to speak with authority which is what Jesus does. If you follow, you know, to the end of the, the chapter, Luke chapter four, his people want to throw him off a cliff by the time he's done <laughs> speaking. Why? Because he was speaking with authority. And I would like to invite you to speak with authority. And I wonder if you'd be willing to just say this with me that the spirit of God is upon me. Don't say you, Sarah, say me. The spirit of God is upon me. One more time. The spirit of God is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Amen.